views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. A few weeks ago, I had a really interesting conversation with my friend, Julie Morgenstern. And Julie, for those of you who don't know her, she's one of America's most notable organization and productivity experts. She's hired by major corporations and individuals to help their executives and those individuals become, to borrow the words from the old advertising campaign, the best they can be. Some of the work that she's doing these days would fall under the heading of retirement coaching, helping people figure out how to morph from the working portion of their lives into the perhaps not as much working segments of their life. And she said, it's all about people giving themselves runway. She said, my experience is that people know what they want. They don't necessarily give themselves permission to want to want it. But when they actually hit upon it, when they get to the point that they can imagine that path that they can see themselves on, they are full of light and full of life. And as she said it, I could see it. And I think she's right. Intuitively, many of us know what might make us happy in our next act, whether it's our second act or our third act. What we don't know necessarily is how to get there and how to make the numbers work. Do we need to make a big financial change in order to accommodate this new act in our lives? Might this new pursuit of ours earn us some money? Could we even find ourselves leaning in in the latter halves of our lives? Could we be better than we ever anticipated? For my guest today, Michael Clinton, this is well-charted territory. Michael has, for the record, run marathons on every continent, He founded a charity that gives back in a big way. He's written a best-selling book, and yes, he's done all of that over the age of 50. That's an important milestone. Today, more than a third of all Americans are over the age of 50. Every day, 10,000 Americans are turning 65. And by the year 2030, one in five of us will be 65 or over, including the first-gen Xers. So, Here's the big question. What do you want to do? What does that second act look like for you? And how exactly are you going to get it? 
Joining me to talk about reimagining the second half of our lives is one of my favorite people. And let me just put it out there that Michael Clinton, my guest, is also a good friend of mine. He is the former president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines. He is the author most recently of Roar, Roar Into the Second Half of Your Life Before It's Too Late. He's a marathon runner. He is amazing. You should all have a person like Michael Clinton in your life. And I'm excited that you've embarked on this journey, Michael, with the Roar Report to help all of us, and I say us as people who are in the second half of our lives, try to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, well, first of all, Jane, thank you so much for having me and right right back at you. And for uh, everyone here, I would just uh, reiterate, you need to have a Jane Chatsky in your life. In fact, we had the pleasure of running the Philadelphia Marathon together. So um, she's also an accomplished role in so many ways. You are so generous. <laughs> Michael says we ran the Philadelphia Marathon. He did not mention that he finished an hour before me. Yeah, well, it's all relative. Finishing is all that matters. Um but yeah, no, thank you. The you know, Roar into the Second Half of Your Life was the book that really spawned what is going to become more action like the Roar Report, which is really putting a, a spotlight on this whole concept of the new longevity. You know, if you're 50 and healthy, you're going to probably live to be 90. And, um, you know, I've had the honor of now joining the Stanford Center on Longevity at Stanford University. And what we're all learning is that the 100-year life is here. So we all have uh, a lot of living to do, and the script that we've been following is all going to change and get scrambled up because of these long, this longer life that we're all going to have. ROAR is an acronym, and, and it's an acronym for the steps that you took to reimagine your own life and now are guiding people through the ROAR report, which is a business intelligence tool to help companies and individuals understand the 50-plus marketplace. But, but you used it yourself before you figured out that it could really help others. Can you talk to me about what it is and how it works? Sure. You know, it's, it's really uh, the acronym is the first R is the reimagination process and how we all have to almost adopt and adapt that as a daily practice in our lives as we're really visioning where we want to go and what we want to do. And, you know, starting a second career at 50 plus is used to be once upon a time, a difficult thing, and it's not so much anymore, but reimagining where you want to go the O is, uh, you know, owning where you are right now and all the elements of owning where you are right now, your, your health, your financial well-being, your situation. You've got to sort of have a baseline to work with. The A is the action plan. And, you know, I think the thing that's been most um, interesting to people has been this concept of life layering. You know, the idea is you put aside your role as parent, partner, and employee and who are you then? Those are big roles that we all have. But, you know, how do you build other personas as to who you are? Because kids grow up and go away and jobs come and go and hopefully the partner sticks around. But, you know, there's there are a lot of uh, people who, you know, have realized that those role models aren't what are going to sustain them as individuals. So life layering is a, is a tool that can help you get there. And then the final R is relationships and reassessing them because the people in your life, your, your, your partners, your friends, your kids, your husband, your wife, your siblings, 
they are really the people that are going to be the ones to help you move forward in the new envisioned future that you want. So the acronym has lots of tools and tips attached to it uh, in the book, as you know. You interviewed, I know, 40 people for the book, and and some of them were well-known, some of them not so well-known, all of them over the age of 45. And they had, at that age, pivoted their life 180 degrees from from being in one place to being um, in another. Were there any common threads that you found with these folks who were able to do this successfully? Yeah, there were, there were a few. Um, first of all, they were uh, optimistic, curious um, people. They really saw the future in a, in a bright way, even if they didn't have the the wherewithal, the financial wherewithal, or the educational wherewithal to change. They all, they all had a similarity. But I think the one thing that they all said, which really stuck out, is that it took them a year or two to go through the process to figure out what big change they were going to make. I mean, there was a woman I interviewed at 53 who was a, a writer and a journalist who decided she wanted to become a medical doctor at 53. And, and you know how challenging that is at 23. Mm-hmm. Um, she's now in her early 60s and she's a medical doctor, but she, she talks about the process that she went through and the drive and passion she had to do that. And at 60, she said, you know, I'll be a doctor for the rest of my life and make a contribution. But they really all put in the time, the introspection, the soul searching, the really trying to figure out what it is that they wanted to do next in their, in their lives. What it isn't for them or what it wasn't for them was a crisis. I I know that you really don't like the term midlife crisis. It doesn't sound like it applies in these instances. Is it time that we retire it? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's really flipping, flipping the whole discussion to a from a midlife crisis to a midlife awakening. Yeah, what, what I like to say is if you're, let's just pick a number, you're 45 or you're 50, you know, you've lived an adult life, you know, for 25 plus years. You have a pretty good sense as to who you are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. You pretty much know if you like the career you're in, if you like the partner you have. You know, many people, their kids are, you know, pretty much grown. And so take all of the learnings and wisdom and experience and knowledge and turn that into a positive, an awakened state where you say to yourself, I can now do this or do that, or I can go back to school, or now's the time to start a new business, or now's the time to you know, pivot into a new kind of career. So it's, it's really an opportunity of, of, a, of an awakened state, not a, not a crisis state. And I think when you look at it through that lens, it sort, of, it sort of neutralizes. And I think a lot of people who I interviewed sort of looked at it through that lens and they found very different a very different path as a result of it. Sometimes when you go down a path like this, when you go through a change like this, the woman who decided to come become a doctor, medical school is expensive. Person wants to start a business, that may be expensive. Maybe you're working as an investment banker and you're not feeling it anymore and you want to devote your life to doing something that feels more purposeful but at a reduced salary. Did you talk about how these folks managed the financial transition? Yeah, well, part of it is that that O of Roar, which is really owning your current financial position in terms of where's your flexibility and your possibility. 
I love the story of one woman, Polly, who actually ended up selling her house and using some of the proceeds to fund a master's degree to pivot into a new career. Um, she said her financial planner said it might have not been the greatest decision, but he understood how it was the decision that she had to make. So yeah, a lot of it has to do with um, you know what your current financial situation is. H- however, what I discovered is that you know, a lot of people would say, well, I don't have the time and I don't have the money. Well, time is what we make of it. And it's, it's really surprising how much money is available for people in midlife, not just for higher education, but also for the trades. And in certain states, if your income is at a certain level, you can go to college for free. Um, we all know about MOOCs and Coursera and the Khan Academy there are lots of ways um, to get monies. Scholarshipowl.com is the source that the woman who became a doctor used. She ended up having her entire education funded through scholarships. So it's being inventive and creative and you know, digging into the sources that can help fund these things. On the other end of the spectrum, there was a woman who was a restaurant worker, and she, you know, post-COVID, didn't want to be in restaurant work anymore. She didn't have a lot of money, and she ended up taking a course, um, uh, a free course online, and ended up becoming a nurse's aide, uh, and that was her pivot into doing something more purposeful. It, it cost her nothing, and mm-hmm. she got on a path and on a track, um, you know, in a, different, in a different course of life. You mentioned the woman that you wrote about who sold her house in order to fund her next phase. It made me wonder what you learned about how we want to live in the next phase of our life. There's been a lot of research asking people, where do you want to age? And the vast majority of the people say at home. What is that home going to look like? Is it going to be different? Is it going to be in America? Are we going to want to live in other countries? Are you, are you sensing threads of change? Yes, I think, you know, first of all, it's a cost of living issue. I mean, if you live in an expensive city like New York or in San Francisco and going to another city in America, you can, you can literally cut your costs in half. Uh, my own sister and her husband are uh, exploring relocating to a, a place in Mexico from the Northeast, and they're able to do their budgeting and see how much they're able to save in terms of living in this, uh, what is rather rather large expat community uh, with with good healthcare, et cetera, in in Mexico. So I think people are going to go through a lot of, you know, what do I want? What do I need? How much is it going to cost me to live the kind of life that I live that I want to live? Um, and th- that'll be their that'll be their choice. But I think there are, as you know, a lot of countries now where uh, Americans are moving to. Portugal uh, is a good example of one. Uh, in terms of, of cost of living and, and good healthcare as well. So I think you're going to see a lot of the 50 plusers, you know, have a very different way that they're going to approach living and their lifestyles. What's amazing to me is how long a period of time we're actually talking about. I mean, when, when you think about the first 50 years of your life, you're on this course, right? You are going through school and then you're going to college and you're maybe meeting a partner and you're accumulating wealth and you're buying a home and you're trying to accelerate your career and you get to 50 and it's amazing that you could have as much time on the other side. Is there a third phase that's coming down the road? I'm I'm thinking I'm after we 
uh, wrap up this conversation, I'll be speaking with Isabel Barrow, and she's a, a wealth planner at Edelman Financial Engines. And she talks a lot about how there are these um, go-go and slow-go and no-go stages to retirement. Um, I, I'm wondering if if this is a stage or if it is a continuum. What's the best way to to think about it? How should I be wrapping my brain around it? Well, first of all, as you and I have talked, the the word retirement is toxic and needs to be blown up. You know, if you (laughs) think about the retirement concept was really constructed by government policy, you know, 1935 and Social Security, and then Del Webb in the 60s, who made the promise that retirement was going to be a life of leisure. And then you know, Medicare came along in, in the 60s. And, you know, all of that happened when the life expectancy was in the low 60s. And so we all bought into this collective thought that retirement at 65 was the appropriate thing. What we didn't think about is that living another 25 years, you know, having a sustainable life of in, in engagement and involvement and passion is um it's not sustainable, you know, the way it was when life expectancies were significantly lower. And so ultimately, people are going to want to work longer. They're going to need to work longer. They're going to want to have um, income that's coming in. Um, The challenges of the Social Security system as we know it, and we all know what's going to happen, you know, in in the, the pressures against that. So I think not only will it affect work stream and work span, let's call it work span along with lifespan as we're all going to be working into our 60s and 70s, many because we want to and many because we have to, just to fund, fund this long life. So I think this, the construct is all, all going to change. And the, the boomers are already challenging it. I saw a, pro, a research project recently that 60% of people retiring from their first job the first career, said that it was just really an opportunity for them to go into a completely different line of work. And I think that was really, I think that's indicative. You, you might have a career for 40 years or 35 years in one whole, you might be a banker, but then you might decide to become an entrepreneur or you might go and you know, work for a nonprofit or you might do something else. So a lot of people, they're, quote, retiring in their main career, but then they're going off and doing other things. And I think that's going to be the new, the new formula for many people. What I think is so amazing about what you've done with Roar is that I don't think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that this becoming a business and a company was intentional from the outset. I think you had an idea for a book. And it turned out to be a really good book and a book that sold really well. And on the heels of that book, you started getting asked to make speeches and you started thinking about other ways that this concept could have legs and you walked through the doors that opened. That, I think, is an excellent model for people to try to follow as they chart out their roar. Can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, Jean. It was, it was the idea of the book was to get something off my chest, quite honestly, because I was seeing what was going on in the country with all these people, fifty plus, and how there was a disconnect. The culture and the people have been way ahead of the institutions, business and government and entertainment, and so the book was sort of I was going to write the book and you know get get it off my chest and 
as you said, it kind of, you know, created a spark. We, we have a newsletter now that is over 13,000 subscribers in nine months. People can access it on roarbymichaelclinton.com. But it, it all kind of grew organically. And I think to your point, whatever thread you take in terms of an interest or a passion or something you're engaged in, you know, let the world open up to you in terms of what it might bring you and seize that opportunity. And I think that's kind of what's happening now. You know, we're 14 months out from when the book was launched and already we have so many different activities that people are really interested in, both consumers and businesses. So, you know, the Roar Report, as you mentioned, is going to be a B2B subscription service to really bring insights to to companies and businesses and employers all about what's going to happen and what's happening already in the country. So yeah, seize seize the moment, as they say. Absolutely, Michael. This is great. Always such a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you so much for disrupting your vacation to talk to us. Thanks, uh, Jean. I'm settling in here on an 80 degrees in the Caribbean. And so I'm thrilled to be uh, talking to you and saying hello to all of your all of your people who are listening and watching in. So thanks so much. Thank you. We've got to take a quick break, everyone. When we get back, as I said, Isabel Barrow, a wealth planner from Edelman Financial Engines, will join us to talk about the financial side of reinventing the second half of your life. I'm Jean Chatsky. You're listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. Stay with us. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second-guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. We are back on Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. Isabel Barrow joins me in the studio. Hi, Isabel. Hi, Jean. So as we listen to this conversation with Michael and listen to him talk about the amazing things that people are envisioning and manifesting with the second half of their lives, with the second act over 50, it sounds amazing. And always in the back of my mind, there's a cash register running, just going ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. It, it's expensive. Yeah. It's so inspirational listening to him and, you know, thinking about the stories of people that have really accomplished great things in the latter half of their life. But like you said, I'm, you know, he's telling the story about somebody who sold their house to go fund a second career. And I'm thinking as the financial planner, like, gosh, I hope they were ready for that, you know, um, because on one hand, you want to be able to accomplish all of your dreams. But on the other hand, you know, is it going to create a lot of stress and anxiety and financial problems for you later if you haven't mapped it out properly, if you haven't really thought about all of the little details that you need to think about before you take that leap? There is some good data behind this. We know that folks who voluntarily switch careers in their 50s 
tend to work longer. That's according to some new research out of the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College. 53% of these job changers were still working when they were 55 compared with 44% who didn't change jobs. And what that says to me is maybe it gave them a second wind. Maybe this is actually a good thing. The question is, how do we set them up for success? So let's play it a game here, right? I'm your client and I'm 58 years old, which by the way, I am. And I come to you and I say, you know, I'm not feeling it anymore. I know I'm earning good money, but I don't want to do this. Um, I'm thinking I'd like to start a business or I'd like to quit my job and go um, launch a not-for-profit or I'd like to bake cupcakes. You know, whatever it is that I want to do, it's not going to necessarily have the job security that I have right now, at least at the outset. Help. Yeah. And, you know, it's actually fairly common that someone will sit down and it may not be quite as extreme as, you know, I want to retire and go make cupcakes, but it may be that, you know, I'm I'm at the tail end of my career um, and I want to just want to scale down. I maybe it's not even that I want to make a big career change, but I want to work a lot less than we had planned before. So I think the, the first step is to be really honest about what it's going to take to do that, meaning where are you right now? And how do we need to adjust your financial planning projections going forward based on what you think your new income might be? Um, what are what are your plans for, you know, would you be able to work longer, right? In your example, we're, we're looking at that realistically, if you change a career, you might want to work longer. You might decide that, hey, now that I love my job, I'm going to work until I'm 75. Um, but you won't know that, right, until you're in it. I, I, I'll give you an example. I had a, a, a client who retired to become a teacher. He retired at like 60 and he said, I want to become a teacher. That's what I've always wanted to do. I want to be a math teacher. And it just so happened that it was right before the pandemic. Mm. And so he starts his new career and everything kind of gets shut down and he has to revisit the entire thing. So it's, you know, it's now no longer maybe the career that he wants to be in. So I think you have to be realistic with yourself about what are the costs? What are the potential benefits? Am I going to need to take a step back and get education for this new career. So what is that going to cost me and how long is it going to take for me to move into this new career and make sure that you're talking with your financial planner about those realistic expenses and that maybe you're prepared to take a step step back in what you're spending. Maybe what you need to do is you say, if I'm making $100,000 a year and I think my new career is going to pay me $50,000 a year, Try out living on $50,000 a year for a while and make sure that you can comfortably do that. This is the advice that I give to people who say when they are expecting a child that one of them wants to stay home. Bank the other salary during the pregnancy. That is a really nice test period to see if you can live comfortably on the one salary. And P.S., you end up with a nice fat balance in your savings account to give you a little bit of a lift. I know because we've discussed this that you think people are completely unaware of their own spending habits. I, you know, I, th- I think it's probably one of the more difficult questions that I ask someone when they first sit down with me. I'll say, all right, so I, you know what you earn, right? We can look at it on your tax return, but what do you actually spend? And for the most part, 
people don't know what they spend. I mean, they have a general idea, but if you ask them to write it down on a piece of paper, they have to really sit back and think about it. And oftentimes they budget really low and they'll say, I spend this. And when I say, okay, but your net income is thousands of dollars a month more than that, and you don't have any savings, it's kind of like obvious that really you're spending more than you think you are. So I think people do budget really low in their mind or they think that their spending is less than what it really is because that's what they would like their spending to be. But you have to be realistic about it. And so I think you're right. To your point, you've got to try to live on it, test it out first before you take that leap. And also understand what you might be sacrificing in terms of other really important things. Like for example, you know, if you have a 401k plan through work and you're not going to because now you're going to work in a, you know, a gig job and you're not going to have that 401k plan to contribute to anymore, are you still going to be able to save toward retirement? And are you going to be able to save as much as you need to? Or are you going to have to adjust your goals down or maybe work longer in order to do that? You're pulling on different levers here. And I think that's the important consideration that there are there are silos of control, right? You as you're as you're trying to build up this new career, this new business, there's the spending silo and maybe you can rein that in. There is the length of work silo and maybe you can extend that out. There is the social security piece of it and maybe if you are continuing to work longer, you can tap that a little bit later, but I would imagine that you have to put all the numbers together on the page before you make a move. Otherwise, this could all explode. Absolutely. I mean, as with anything, any big decision or big change in your life, um, I think you've you've got to, especially when you're nearing the bend toward retirement, when you can't build up that pot anymore um, and the numbers are bigger than they used to be. You're spending more at 58 probably than when you were at 28, only because as you got older and you progressed in your career, you earned more money, you stepped up your expenses, you have a better car, you've got a bigger house, you're, you're, you're spending more. And so now you're talking about the potential of having to take a step back from that and now readjust your expectations. And maybe it's not just one lever, but it's all of the levers need to be pulled. And maybe it's absolutely worth it for you. And I think for many people, it probably is. But I don't think you should make that decision without sitting down and actually going through all of the numbers first. Because there's other things you might not even be thinking about. Healthcare expenses, that is like my biggest fear is that somebody retires early or they, you know, change careers and they don't have healthcare coverage like they used to. And then all of a sudden they get sick. I'm going to throw a few more at you because I'd love to know how you deal with them. Stock options. Let's say you're working for an employer and you've got unvested options. Well, you might be leaving a lot of money on the table. And same thing for 401k. Let's say, you know, you've got, you're not fully vested in your 401k. You're leaving money potentially on the table. It's the same thing for, let's say, a pension. You know, if you're a federal government employee, for example, every year that you work, you're adding a percentage to your pension. So by leaving early, you may be sacrificing the pension altogether, number one, or you're certainly sacrificing um, a, a larger pension that you would be taking for more more years. So, you know, you, you've really got to think about all of the ins and outs of the benefits of the job, stock options being one, 401k being another, 
healthcare, pension. What about life insurance? Mm -hmm. You know, when you leave your employer, you may be also leaving the life insurance behind or at least leaving what was paid for by your employer behind. And now you're going to have to foot the bill. And guess what? If you're retiring early or you're changing jobs and your family is used to that income and then something happens to you before you rebuild the pot, well, life insurance can be even more vital. So you don't want to be letting it go at that time. At the same time, I don't want us to be Debbie Downers here, right? Because again, I'm going to go back to this this survey. Uh, among those workers who attempted this career change later in life, 87% were happy or very happy after they made the change. 65% were less stressed. 50% actually saw their income go up. Um, and I would suggest that that's because they were happier in what they were doing. And I'm a believer that when you like what you do, often the money will follow. But I hear you. I think there is a time where maybe you don't quit your day job just yet. Do you ever advise your clients to try this on the weekends, try it at night, hold on to the job. Let's try to get as much information as we can about whether this new career is a fit. Absolutely. I think whether or not it's funding your, like starting your own business or leaving one career to start another. Um, I think that that's a great rule of thumb um, is to practice it, you know, try it before you buy it. And I, I, I say that often also with somebody who tells me they're going to in retirement or at some point in their life, they're going to up and move to a new city that they've never lived in before. I'm like, don't buy the house first, rent and make sure you like it before you make this big change. Because you might get into that career and then realize a couple of years in that you don't love it. I mean, I have friends that have gone to law school and practiced law for a year and hated it and then went on to do something completely different. Or I talked to someone recently who was in medical school in their third year and realized at that point that they didn't really want to be a doctor. So we all kind of go through that, I think, at some point in our lives, or at least have the potential to go through that, revisiting what we really want. Um, and so this is a big one, you know, and if you're making that decision or that change in a major way, that's okay if that's what you want and that's what's going to bring you fulfillment and joy in your life. But just make sure, and again, I'm the financial planner, so I'm you know, i going to put the brakes on a little bit. Make sure that you've mapped it out and that you have a game plan and a backup plan. What in case is it a backup work. plan in, in this situation? Well, I think the number one backup plan would be to have a cash reserve. So I think as, you know, as we talk about all the time, cash reserve is a really important feature of any well-built financial plan, but especially when you're undertaking a major transition, you know, again, a move or a retirement or a job change. So this is not your traditional emergency cushion. How much of a cash reserve do you want to see if somebody is making a change like this? So I will go ahead and say two years of cash reserve on hand. That's significant. Yeah, I think, but I I think that that's realistic um, for what you might need if you move into this new career and you are not able to cut back on your expenses and the income is less than you were expecting. Um, And you need to, you know, you're going to need to tap into potentially your investments, but it's 
a year like 2022 and your financial advisor says, sorry, it's not a good time to do that. Um, you want to have that. And, and we call it an emergency fund. We could call it a cash reserve. You know, it's not a technically an emergency. A tree didn't fall on your car. But it's a cash reserve, a liquidity pot from which you can draw without putting the rest of your financial plan at risk. Some individuals are individuals. They are financial islands. Others of us have spouses. We have children. And I'm just imagining if I came to my husband and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. He's That's not just going to impact my financial plan. It's going to impact our financial plan. How do you have that conversation with your spouse? Well, I think ideally you have you have their buy-in. Um, and, you know, because to your point, let's say you're planning a family vacation, but you tell your spouse, uh, I know you wanted to go to Peru, but uh, I can only afford to go to, you know, the the, the hotel down the, on the corner here because of my new job um, or my new income you know, they're going to have to adjust as well. So I think in an ideal world, again, you have their their buy-in and their support before you make that decision. Because again, your financial plan as, uh, as a family is built upon both of you and what you were planning toward in terms of your goals. Because if you had always planned to retire at 65 and move to Florida, but now you know, it might be 70, 75. Are they going to be okay with that? And if not, you need to have a conversation. And again, sit down with a financial planner, put a third party there and think that through all together as to what sacrifices you both are willing to make and, and what it might mean for you. We are talking about all of this as if it's in our control. And sometimes I remember writing an article for AARP, it's been a few years now, but about how approximately two-thirds of people don't retire. They are retired. In other words, it is thrust upon them. It's a surprise. It's a health incident. It's a layoff. And we are going through a lot of layoffs these days. It is something else that's not in their control to say, you are now retired. How do you deal with it when it's that? And how do you, because I know in your role as a financial advisor, you sometimes have to also be a therapist. How do you get people to come around from the negative to the positive? Well, it, um, you know, unfortunately is fairly common. And, you know, it is a situation where it's it's not fun and you don't want to be thrust into that. Um, however, I think all of us need to be prepared for that at, at any point in our lives. And that's part of the reason why uh, we have that cash reserve emergency fund is that you never know what's going to happen. It could be a healthcare emergency. It could be, you know, a, it could be something having to do with your family and you have to take off time from work to take care of an ailing parent um, or a spouse or a child. So it's not always that, you know, you get retirement gets forced on you, but it could be a lot of things. Um, most people are out of work at some point in their lives, either because of a layoff or an illness or taking care of a family member. So um, it's planning, you know, having a contingency plan. You can't plan for everything. Uh, so you can only, you know, I always say, control what you can control. Save now while you can. Put the money away while you can because you never know when it's going to change. And if that does happen, well, you've got to have a plan B. You know, sit down and think about, okay, well, am I in a financial place where I can just go ahead and take this quote unquote retirement and and you know be happy with it and and really be retired or do i need to think about a, a 
career either in the same field or in another field? And if so, what are my options? You know, nobody wants to have to go into a, a, a job that um, isn't really fulfilling for them. Um, so be prepared, you know, and just think about what are the things that now in life might be fulfilling for you and talk to your financial planner about what steps you need to take to get prepared. I've thought a lot about if I'll have a second act and what I might do with my second act. I actually think I'd like to teach. Um, my Both of my parents were teachers. My mom taught in elementary schools. My father taught um, on the college level. How about you? You know, I've thought about this a lot. And I think that what I would like to do is to uh, start my own charity at some point where I will rescue um, horses that are, you know, maybe retired racehorses or have nowhere else to go. So that's kind of my retirement gig. That's what I'm thinking about is that since I was a little girl, that has been my dream. So we'll see. I love that. We are out of time. Isabel, thanks always for being here. Thanks for having me. If you have a question or a topic you'd like us to discuss, we would love to have you on the podcast to talk about it. Visit us at everydaywealth.com to submit your question. And together with a wealth planner like Isabel, we'll talk through solutions that would be personal for you. And if you missed an episode, be sure to check out our past podcasts. This weekend is our last on-air radio show. Going forward, Everyday Wealth will be a podcast-only format and available wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. And while our format may change, our mission will not. We are dedicated to helping people like you grow and protect your wealth. We will continue to sit at the intersection of life and money and focus on the moments that matter for your personal economy. We'll continue to invite experts and authors to the conversation for fresh perspectives and answer your question because as we've been saying, personal finance is very personal. So, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. And if you're new to podcasting, just visit us at everydaywealth.com. All of our episodes will be there as well. Have a great week, everybody. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.